0: Yeah. Still a few shopping days left. Great time to tell you about Steel. S-T-I-H-L SteelDealers.com There are more than 10,000 dealers around the country and uh, that's where you can pick up all the great steel products and go to Steel USA. Again S-T-I-H-L Steel USA and do some shopping for yourself or maybe it's for a good friend, a loved one. Still some days left, man. And nothing better under the tree than and uh, the orange glow of a steel power tool. Check them out; they got some wonderful deals going on uh, as we speak. Stihl. Been telling you about them for years. They are simply the best, and they have so many products to help you get the job done around your yard. Stihl. Steelusa.com. This week on the Drew
1: Goodman Podcast, a Motor City meltdown for the Broncos. Plus, we reflect back on some of Drew's best interviews from 2023. Kyle Freeland, Chip Carey, and Dan Issel. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and scream it to Russell Wilson. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast.
0: Hey, everybody. Winding down a uh, vacation on the beach. Uh, just a few thoughts on what I witnessed uh, over the weekend and then we're going to get uh you to the first of our two best of shows from uh from the year i always like to reflect back we started doing that uh a year or so ago and kind of giving you the the best of from 2023 i know it's kind of a cliche best of i don't know if it's a best of but it there were a few interviews that um i wanted to maybe uh Take pieces up and, and let you listen again in case uh, you wanted to hear it again, or maybe you missed it during the year. So that's what we're going to do a little bit later on with uh, three people Chip Carey, Kyle Freeland, and Dan Issel. We'll do that in in a few moments, but uh, very quickly, Uh, Broncos lose to Detroit as we speak, uh, 42-17. Detroit had not been playing well. They needed kind of a breakout game to reestablish themselves. Unfortunately, it came at the expense of the Broncos. And The biggest story that came out of this uh, game from a a Denver perspective was the— I don't want to call it an argument because one-sided, it was Sean Payton getting after Russell Wilson. And a couple of things struck me about it. we have seen this type of thing on sidelines in the past, on occasion in the NFL, probably a little more frequently in college, where a head coach is dealing with a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old, and it is clearly, uh, you know, one level of authority. This one struck me as interesting because uh, Russell Wilson is, is perhaps a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's not 22 or 24 in the early stages of his NFL career. He's in his mid-30s, and again, he has quite a resume. And Sean Payton you know, was yelling at him like he was a 20-year-old. And maybe it is, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't know Sean Payton, I've said that, but everything that I've witnessed of Sean Payton smacks me of not very likable. And I guess he'll be more likable if he wins a lot of football games in Denver, and Denver gets back to the playoffs and ultimately wins another Super Bowl, and then it doesn't matter, uh, I I suppose, your demeanor on the sideline or your demeanor with the media. And some of you may discard how he treats the media, but I remind you that the media, if done right, they are a conduit to you at home. They're asking questions that you potentially would ask if you had a microphone or the ability to sit in a press conference and ask and I guarantee to you every person who follows the Broncos religiously or casually wanted to know what that whole thing was about, that episode on the sideline where an irate Sean Payton was yelling at his mid-30s quarterback, Russell Wilson. And, of course, when he was asked about that, he had this response. Yep, so tell the call, why don't we, what were you yelling at, Russell about? Listen, what I talk with Russell about is none of your business. Yes, you are right. It is none of our business. But the reporter who asked the question has every right and, in fact, I would say has an obligation. Everyone in that room has an obligation to ask him what transpired there. And he could have been more delicate in his response or more politically correct in his response, say, hey, you know what? Temper's flair on the sideline. Uh, we're going to keep it between me and Russell. Uh, I understand why you asked the question, um, but everything's good, all good. Whether it is or isn't, uh, there's ways of, of answering that question. Um, but again, Sean Payton's not trying to win, I, I think, fans over. Certainly he's not trying to win the media over with him. And if you ultimately win, it does not matter. The team I followed religiously growing up and still am a huge fan of, despite uh, how things have gone over the last several seasons, the New York football giants, uh, the head coach that turned them around back in the eighties was Bill Parcells. And, and Bill Parcells was not warm and fuzzy with the media, but Bill Parcells who had a wit to him and a charm, I suppose, is always remembered fondly, especially back East, because he ultimately won a couple of world championships with uh, the New York Giants. We'll see how it uh, moves going forward with Sean Payton. Uh, I I wish that, and again, I'm not on the sideline. I don't know what what it was all about, but you almost wish that, that Russell Wilson didn't just sit there and take it. I mean, he has enough of a resume and enough credibility, uh, you know, to fire back. So that's one to look forward to uh, moving uh, ahead to see if anything comes of that and where this goes in the offseason. I don't think the Broncos, even though they've had a great run over the last couple of months, they're not a playoff team. And what they do with Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson, uh, and I've said this before, has played well enough um. To uh, and especially with the 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 contract to be back next year, you can win with Russell Wilson. There are there are enough issues other places, um, especially early on with the defense, as to why the Broncos are where they are. They've played better. Detroit was certainly the better team, and not unexpectedly uh, on Sunday. One other NFL note before we get to some best of stuff. Brock Purdy came out this week and said, the MVP of the league is my teammate Christian McCaffrey. And I gravitate toward this subject because Christian McCaffrey's a local guy. He's a Denver guy. Went to Valor Christian. Son of Eddie, as we all know. He's fabulous, man. I love watching him play. And and I suppose I'm I'm biased because he is a local kid. But he should have won the Heisman Trophy back at Stanford. He's just electric. He Every time he touches the football, he may break one off for 30 or 40 yards, whether it is in a conventional uh, run situation between the tackles. Many thought he couldn't run between the tackles. Or when they throw him the football. He's got great hands. He runs great routes. Anyhow, um, it's always an award now, the MVP of the league, for a quarterback. Right? Adrian Peterson was he the last one to to win an MVP award as a running back or or as a non quarterback? But he's in the conversation. Christian McCaffrey, he most definitely is in the conversation. Responsible for twenty touchdowns, and I think it'll still probably go to a quarterback. It may go to Brock Purdy, and I know, you know, Brock Purdy, he was smart on his you know, on his part to say, listen, I think the MVP is one of my teammates. Don't point to me, point to one of your teammates. And uh, something else that came out of the weekend, or actually prior to the weekend, I think Cam Newton was quoted as saying that, that Brock Purdy's a nice player, but he's just a game manager. He's a game manager because he distributes the football to other really good talent, McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle Ayuk that that's what the quarterback should do and the more talent you have around you the more chances of having a prolific offense is is what you're looking at and that's what the 49ers are so Brock Purdy deserves a great deal of credit he's not a game manager he's smart he's, getting, he's he's running their offense very very well I, is he the the greatest athlete at the spot in the NFL? Is that what Cam Newton's pointing at? No, he's not. But he's really accurate. He reads defense as well. And he gets the football in the hands of all those playmakers really frequently. And it's why San Francisco right now is the odds-on favorite to win a Super Bowl. Ultimately, I don't care who wins the the MVP, but uh, I'm glad that there's a lot of conversation now uh, surrounding the local kid, and that's uh, Christian McCaffrey, because he deserves it. He's putting it together. You know, I mentioned Hall of Fame, and, and potentially uh, that's the situation many years from now when, uh, when Russell Wilson is long since retired. Christian McCaffrey's putting together a Hall of Fame resume in his career. All right, enough on football, and let's reflect back. There were some, uh, I I hope for you, many interesting uh, conversations that we had on this podcast, many uh, for me. I I enjoy doing it because I enjoy talking to people in long-form interviews, and there were some some great subjects. But uh, we're going to begin with a guy that is a local guy, like Christian McCaffrey, and everything about Denver sports is really important to him. I mean, he's got his Colorado roots literally emblazoned on his skin in ink. Kyle Freeland, I mean, he's the number one fan of the Broncos. He's the number one fan of the Nuggets. He's the number one fan of the Avalanche. And obviously, uh, you know, he takes the baseball um, every fifth day for the Colorado Rockies. And at the start of the year, after his first outing, we had a conversation about a play he made, which I said at the time was going to be the best play a pitcher makes all year. And it happened, you know, at, at the end of March and there were six plus months of baseball to go. And we kind of jumped in there and then uh, also got into his time with uh, Team USA during the WBC. So we reflect back now a conversation from uh, right at the start of the season with uh denver's own kyle Freeland.
2: all right how many times have you watched it be honest how many times i've watched it a good amount you know that's 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 one of those places pitcher you know we we pride ourselves on and uh and and we definitely you know hold high in in the stuff that we do uh when when we're not pitching when we have to field our position so I've watched it a good amount of times,
0: and you ought to. So your phone had to blow up after the game the next day. What was the funniest text you got from uh, from one of your buddies?
2: Um, probably the funniest was uh, one of my ex-coaches that I had at Evansville, Andy Pasco, texted me, and uh, he said, um, he "said Nice outing, nice play. You're still movie bitch, though." When <laughs> freshman freshman on a college bus. Uh, you know you're you, you got duties to do and one of them is movies there
0: you go you know what i uh i've watched it a couple of times and i don't know if i've ever seen i don't know if i've ever seen that play really from a pitcher. i mean you see him go over there and a lot of times you just got to put it in your pocket right
2: yeah it's it's one of those play i mean it's it's, it's a do or die play um with, with a ball that's hit that softly, almost right up the line, you, you really don't have time to, you know, plant your feet and get your momentum going the opposite way to, to make that throw. And then you got to, one, put a lot on that throw, and two, make it accurate. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those do or dies where, you know, as kids well, growing up watching Jeter, you know, make those plays, watching Tulo make those plays, you know, you, you try them out when you're when you're messing around at baseball practice or whatever, and you you kind of get a feel for it of, you know, of what you need to do, and if the situation arises, you know, you can you can give it a try. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's one of those plays, do or die. You feel that cleanly. Got to get that. Got to get a good transfer, um, but definitely not easy to make.
0: Do you think it helps at all the fact that pe- most people don't know this unless? they're listening intently to us and we every once in a while point out that you like to take ground balls as short before uh you know before infield and you guys are taking a lot of ground balls Uh, but you're always out there at shortstop taking ground balls that help
2: yeah you know i think staying athletic um is very big not only just in general but for me you know you know feeling feeling those agilities you know getting down and feeling the ground ball, not just off a mound, but, you know, in different areas where, you know, you got to maybe, you know, pick a short pop or, you know, drop step, just, just being athletic. Um, actually kind of funny. Uh, when I was with Team USA, Mookie, watching his – watching the way he works during practice, takes fly balls in the outfield, takes ground balls in the outfield, then he comes in the infield, takes ground balls. And I asked him, like, dude, are you going to play everywhere this year? And his response was, I, I just, like, you know, working and continuing to feel that athleticism where I'm not just like standing in one spot doing nothing.
0: This is probably a dumb one, Kyle. I just thought of it. But, you know, you've been able to make uh, the major leagues as a left-handed pitcher, all right? So it's not like you probably think about this and go, boy, I wish I was right-handed given how well you've done as a left-handed pitcher a first-round pick and great success, etc., But knowing the athlete you are, was there a point in time you go, man? I wish I was right-handed so I could play shortstop or I could catch or whatever.
2: Um, I think growing up there was a little bit of that because you know you're limited. You're either pitching, playing first base, or playing the outfield, and. I, I always like being in the mix of, of the action. So that's that's one where I fell in love with pitching is it's I'm in the mix. I'm controlling the game. Um, it's on me. But, yeah, grow, growing up, you know, I wanted to play everywhere. Obviously, obviously couldn't um, try to be a two-way college, and my uh, West Carroll shut that down real quick. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it goes, goes back to just, you know, wanting to be an athlete every, everywhere that you can Did you get any ABs your freshman year at Evansville? No, I I went in uh, the day I got to Evansville when my parents dropped me off. Met with with Wes and asked him, like, hey, you know, I'd I'd like to potentially try and, you know, be two-way and, you know, play outfield and hit. And he he asked me, uh, he said, well, do you know what your 60 time is? And I didn't know it off the top of my head. He's like, well, it's got to be faster than a 6-6-60 because that's what our center fielder runs, Kevin Kazmarski. I'm like, ah, it's not that fast. So uh, so he he bit that in the ass real quick.
0: You know that Bus Composer used to take the gear off and close in the ninth inning, huh? So it, there's plenty of guys that two way. Yeah. No,
2: yeah. He he played uh he had one game where he played every single position in a that's, game. at far state. state sure.
0: Why does that not surprise me? All right, I gotta ask you about uh Team USA, and I remember when you first came back, I mean, it's like you had permagrin on for for 48 hours, didn't you?
2: Yeah, that was an experience unlike any other. It was playoff baseball in the middle of March, and you get to do it with the best in the world against the best in the world, and it's one of those experiences that's, that's hard to explain because you see very raw and true emotion coming from not only your team, but the teams you're playing against and their fan bases of how much pride they take in of representing their country. And, you know, we we were the exact same way. You know, we, we wanted to represent the United States in the best possible way, go out and win the whole thing, repeat. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But, you know, that atmosphere right out of the gate before the season even starts is, you know, it, it helps kind of propel that momentum of all right this is what this is what we're fighting for this is that feeling that we want to have and you know bring that back to the rockies and like this this is what this is like this is what playoff baseball is like and you know getting back to that feeling after what five years not having that feeling since 2018 it's it's something that it hits you immediately and you're just like yeah that's that's what i want was it the same juice to when you took the mat at wrigley field yeah very very similar um you know, there, there's you know different ways to think about it. Like obviously, you know, when you're with your club, you're grinding the whole season with them. You know, from spring training all the way till you know end of the season playoffs. So like, it's a somewhat different feeling, but at the same time, it's the same so you're playing extremely meaningful games uh, in a game that where you're representing your country, not not just you know your state or the club that you play for. You're representing um, everyone in that aspect. So it, there, there are a lot of similarities. There are some differences, but overall just an experience that uh, I'm going to encourage a lot of guys. They have, have the opportunity to play for their country. Go do it.
0: I always enjoy my conversations with Kyle because he has an intensity on the mound. And when you visit with him, and he's a, he's a great guy, but he has an intensity and a passion that you feel, even when you're just having, you know, a casual conversation with him, and you understand why he has been successful, uh, the competitive juices that run through him um, comes out in um, in everything he does, man, and it comes out in interviews as well, in how candid he typically is. We're gonna stay in baseball for a moment with. Uh, A colleague of mine, I enjoy talking to fellow broadcasters and Chip Carey's been on in years past and he joined me near the start of the year when St. Louis came to town. I mean, for years, Chip had done the Atlanta Braves like his father, and he had an opportunity for various reasons to move on to St. Louis, the town he grew up in. And of course, his grandfather at one point, Harry, did the Cardinals before probably becoming more famous doing the Cubs. But uh, with Chip, at the start of the year, we talked about many topics around the sport of baseball, but we began with moving from Atlanta to St. Louis and uh, what took place in his mind, and then we got into the family name as well. So look back uh, this year, to a conversation I had with the Cardinals' new television broadcaster, but not new to uh, to doing the game, and that is Chip Carey. So many times has somebody like me asked you, have you uttered the braves on a
1: cardinals broadcast i mean you know well you get a couple passes dude right yeah i i did it one time and i laughed and i said well it's spring training for the announcers too uh it is weird drew because you know you spend 20 years of your life in one place it just becomes automatic right i'm sure you couldn't imagine not doing the rockies games and you're going to do the arizona diamondbacks broadcast it's going to just pop out the way that it pops out uh but believe me they're um Let's just say there were two words that I knew I didn't want to say. One of them was Braves, and I'll let you use your imagination as to what the other one is.
0: Yeah, I, I will. I would say this when I first got started, because I grew up in New York, as you know, and I was a Mets fan growing up, I was, I was always worried, you know, something Mets would come out, especially in the early days when the Rockies played the Mets, not to get excited if, you know, David Wright hit a homer or something.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that, because the second series that I did with the Cardinals, we hosted the Braves in Atlanta. And Austin Riley came up in the first game and he hit a ball to the concourse at Busch Stadium like 475 feet and I go there's a drive and Austin Riley hits <laughs> a home run right <laughs> so all my friends in Atlanta heard the call and they said god that sounded weird you really have uh, you turned the page as it were and so yeah I mean all those things that are instinctive and so much a part of your life I mean look as I said 20 years of my life was spent in Atlanta in one way shape or form with the Braves um, that's the hardest part of making this transition but go Going to a place like St. Louis, where I grew up and understand the culture and the people have been so welcoming, has made that very, very easy. You have carved out a great career, and I'm not, I'm saying
0: it to to embarrass you. Have and I imagine it wasn't as easy as some people on the outside may say. Well, he's a Carry, and you know his grandfather, whose grandfather who. And because and you've been on before, I'll say you didn't really know your grandfather right. growing up. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, your dad obviously was a legend in Atlanta.
1: Um, was it I, I know you're proud of your name, but was it also a burden a little bit Chip? to a degree? I mean, when when I was getting started and this will this will date me, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have Twitter or Instagram or Facebook um, when I was growing up in St. Louis. um, Cable TV was just starting to penetrate West County, where I grew up. And in 81, 82, I was one of the kids that would come home from school, flip on the TV, and there's this goofy old man with the big glasses singing out a key at Wrigley Field. I'd go do baseball practice homework, have dinner, come back, and then the Braves were on TBS at night playing the Dodgers or the Giants. The Braves were in the National League West. For many, many years, as your fans, I'm sure, know. So for me, the challenge was, okay, my dad's on TV nationally every day. My grandfather's on TV every day nationally. And I want to try to do this and find my own way. And I can barely tie my shoes, much less say ground ball to second. So that was the real challenge. And yes, there are going to be people who hate because of the last name. And I'm the first to admit that it has opened innumerable doors that probably wouldn't have been opened if my name was Smith, Jones, or Brown. Uh, But as you know, this is ultimately a performance and personality-driven business. When the light goes on and they say it's time to talk, you can either do it or you can't. And they helped train me to understand that you got to be you. Don't try to imitate Skip or Harry. It's like, kids, I'm sure you've heard a zillion tapes of people out West Who want to sound exactly like Vin Scully Why? There's only one He's the poet laureate of baseball There'll never be another one of them So um, yeah, I I learned quickly That that the name is going to open doors Um, The people that understand That it's no different than a, a A doctor in the family Having a son or daughter follow In those footsteps We just happen to do it on TV And cover a sport And do a job that's really, really fun And once those people are accepting You sort of learn to tune out The people that are just jealous Of the opportunity that you have to do something great and fun and entertaining. Yeah, the first piece of advice I give, and you, you have two sons who are um, advancing
0: along. Yep. They've they're, they're, uh, been in minor league baseball. I have a son who aspires to do this. And the first piece of advice that um, I give all young broadcasters,
1: and I'm, uh, I'd be shocked if it wasn't the same as you, and that is be yourself. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've worked in work environments where that isn't allowed. Uh, I have. And that's really, really constricting, because ultimately, as I said, people at home know when you're you're BSing them and uh doing TV like we do. The pictures don't lie. And I think if people understand that we have uh, a stake in the game and that we want our teams to win every single game they play, it makes our job a lot more easy. Uh, it makes it a lot more fun, but we have no control over it. And it's very, very important to me, as I'm sure it is for you, to be honest with the audience because you're not honest. You don't respect them. And as we know, honesty is the sincerest form of respect. And I, I think uh, uh, that's served you well. I hope it continues to serve me well and hopefully uh, my sons as well in Amarillo.
0: From baseball, we turn our attention, as everyone's attention in uh, the Rocky Mountain region, was on the Nuggets in the spring and into the early stages of the summer. And for the first time, as we all know, the Nuggets became world champions. Well, I had a conversation with uh, an all-time great Nugget and also a guy that wore a lot of hats with Denver, ultimately, in, in some lean years. And that's Dan Issel, who is the general manager and, of course, the head coach, at one point in time, and it also coincided with the period when I was doing their games on television. But Dan's still immensely proud of the organization, and uh, you know he was on the edge of his seat as the Nuggets were making their way to their first uh, title. We picked this conversation up before Game 3 of the finals, and you'll recall Miami had just taken a game from Denver uh, here at home. And so it was 1-1 going back to Miami. And uh, we start in on the NIL and and the money involved in the college game now, and then ultimately start talking about uh, that series between the Nuggets and the Heat. Dan Issel, the horse, of course. Dan, I'm sure you saw this or read this or talked about it on your show. Drew Timmy, who was kind of, you know, he's one of those tweeners in the NBA, great college player at at Gonzaga. He was up front. He said, I'm not going to put my name in the NBA draft because I I figure I'm going to be a two-way guy between the G League. He goes, I'm going to take my NIL money, which was close to seven figures, and stay at Gonzaga.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, and and I was surprised uh, that uh, especially given that Kentucky uh, lost a lot of veterans. I was surprised that uh, Oscar uh, Sheedway stayed in the draft this year because uh, he could have gone back to Kentucky and made a lot more money than he's going to make, uh, you know, playing in the G League or wherever he winds up. How much excitement
0: are you drawing from your old franchise that you played for, that you coached, that you were the GM for being in the NBA Finals?
3: Yeah, it's, it's terrific. I mean, I, uh, I, I have nothing to do, uh, with the current, with the current team, but I, I don't think you can be involved in an organization as long as I was, uh, and not feel some sense of pride, even some sense of ownership. And I'm, I'm very happy Michael Malone has, has been terrific to me and, and talking with Lisa Johnson, I understand all of the players are, are just really good people so I'm happy for them but I'm happiest for the fans of of Denver I mean they they've supported supported this franchise for a long long time uh, maybe even when we didn't put a product on the floor that was that was worth supporting and so uh for them for them to finally get a chance for the team to to participate in the uh, in the NBA finals I I, I think it's terrific
0: yeah, I think in my ten-year run, and some of them were doing games with you, uh, my one-loss record as a broadcaster not real strong.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, there was some, there was some lean years for sure.
0: Yeah, um, I you know like just to reminisce for a moment. Did you see? I, I understand Fons was in town. I've been traveling with the Rockies naturally, so I haven't I haven't been there. But I understand Lafonso was in town. Do you look back when when you you got Lafonso, you got Brian Stith, and it felt like Dan, you were really building something. And then of course, I, I always it's not fair to attribute it to one thing, but when, when Lafonso had that very strange knee injury that that derailed what I think would could have been a really special career. Do do you reminisce at all about that ever?
3: Absolutely, uh, you know. I think I think about it all the time. I, uh, you know, the fact that we were a first eight seed to upset a number one seed, and then a lot of people don't talk about this, Drew, but the next series we were down to Utah, oh uh, three. Uh, that you know the great Stockton Malone Hornacek team. Uh, and And we were until until the heat did it against um uh, against uh the celtics uh we were one of one of four teams that were ever down 0 three in the history of the n b a playoffs <coughs> excuse me to force a game seven and so that was a really special team and and it just shows you how how delicate the chemistry is in a locker room. I mean, we had a, Fonz tears up his knee, uh, Mahmoud, uh, because of, of his, uh, religion, uh, you know, started really, uh, not taking good care of himself. And, uh, it just a few minor changes and that team went from a promising, perhaps championship team someday, uh, to being a 500 basketball team. So, um I, I think about it all the time had we kept that team intact and they would have kept uh the same focus on on how hard they played that that year that would that could have been a really special situation
2: do you
0: keep in touch with any of uh, of those guys or run into them on occasion uh
3: i i i stay closest to uh fons Sherry and i are our godparents to one of Fon's and, and Jen's uh children and uh, we text back and forth all the time and we uh, uh and, and I text with the Kembe on occasion. I would say those those two are the are the two that I uh, that I have stayed closest with.
0: You know, there there gotta be more stories that you've forgotten through the years. Um do you have a favorite story from when you were coaching um because you have a great sense of humor, and and I and I saw all facets, you know, near and far, from calling the games or the, or being around the locker room. You know, I I think of Chopper Travellini when you you got hurt and you got hit. You know, where nobody wants to get hit as a guy, and, and kind of standing over you. Was was that one of your favorite stories? By the way,
3: yeah, yeah. You, as a matter of fact. We had prearranged that because that, that game was on national TV and I don't remember who we were playing. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I told them, I said, I want your mom to be able to see you. And, uh, yeah, I said, so I'm going to pretend like I get hurt and you come out on the floor and, uh, then your mom will be able to see you on national TV. And so that's, that's exactly what we did. And I laid on the floor till chopper got, got out there. Um, it, it, when I was coaching Drew, this is this is my favorite story, and it just shows uh, what kind of kids we had on that team in in LaFonzo and Dikembe. So we're getting ready to go. We we had uh, lost the first two games in that Seattle series, and we came home we came home and and beat Seattle. In two games and now we're going back to, uh, going back to Seattle for game number five. And, um, you know, we, we flew charter and so there were always, I mean, there was just the players, the coaches, the training staff. And so there were all, always a ton of empty seats on the plane. And I'd had guys come and tell me, you know, I, I, can I take my wife on the trip or can I take my girlfriend on the trip? Can I take my cousin on the trip? And, you know, we, we cut that all out. And so we're getting ready to go to Seattle for game number five and Fons and Dikembe walk into my office and they say, uh, coach, there's somebody that I think we ought to take, uh, to Seattle. And I'm thinking, Oh no, here it comes. What is they? What are they going to ask for? And I said, who's that? And they said, uh, Bo Mitchell, our chaplain. And that, that just shows. And so we took Bo. Uh, I don't know if there was any uh, divine intervention <laughs> on that game, but that just shows what kind of kids those kids were.
0: Yeah, I see. I see Bo on a regular basis every Sunday because he's the chaplain for the Rockies and has been for 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 a number of years. Yeah that that that's that's a wild one. Dikembe's voice. Um, uh, you know what? If he was say in Washington, Dan, he would not need to pick up a cell phone to call you in Denver. He could just bellow, and there's a chance you might hear him, right?
3: <laughs> he's 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 the best. When uh, when he had his number retired uh, down at what was then Pepsi Center, now Ball Arena, uh, he was nice enough to uh, to request that I introduce him that night and i told the crowd uh, when i first was hired by bernie victorstaff uh, to be the coach he told me you're going to love de kembe he said he's a he's an intelligent guy he can he can speak seven different languages I said, but as you're about to hear, English is not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I could hear, I I never heard, had any problem hearing what Dikembe had to say.
0: This fella by the name of Jokic, when did he first jump on your radar and you said, this dude is different?
3: Well, you know, I, I, it wasn't immediately uh, because, you know, he's, He's a second-round pick. He's the 40, 41st pick in the draft, and you figure, well, you know, he, he might be an okay player. He might be able to fill out a roster. You usually don't get the best player in the league with the 41st pick in the draft. But uh, but the more you watch him, and, and he just has a great feel for the game, and and his his peripheral vision must be unbelievable because he sees the entire court. Uh, sometimes even people behind him for crying out loud. And so, uh, it, it didn't take long. I mean, once, once you took the time to study him and, and remember, uh, what was the guy's name? Nurkic or we had a guy named Nurkic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nurkic. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That was about, about the same. And, you know, they knew they couldn't play both of them. So I think they, they wound up trading Nurkic to to Portland. But, uh, after he left, and then and then Joker started getting the majority of the playing time. You could just see him getting better and better and better. And uh, I've never seen. I mean, the closest I've ever seen Drew uh is Bill Walt being the you know the be able to score, to rebound, to to pass the basketball out of the low post or even out of the high post. Uh, he comes the closest to any to anybody I've ever seen. But but even he. Uh, can't do some of the things, or couldn't do some of the things that that Jokic does. He's just phenomenal. It,
0: when I watch him play, and I've said this, uh, you know, here on on this podcast and other folks, I, I said I he never Dan he never has a subpar game. He either has a great game, or he has a really really good game, and. There are there literally you'd never see he's he's 4 for 15 from the floor and he had only 6 rebounds and 5 assists. He doesn't have games like that. Which which to me as you move forward as we tape this, you know, the Nuggets and uh, play game 3 tonight in Miami and it's 1-1, to me it it falls more on the the next group of guys and maybe Jamal Murray number 1. Put your coach's hat back on. How do you look at not only Game 3, but the rest of this series, given the fact that Miami did what they did in Game 2?
3: Yeah, well, um, and you're right about about Joker. He, uh, and he plays all the time. I, I know he missed a few games down the stretch because uh, their their number one seed was pretty well cemented. But, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't miss games. He's, he's out there at playing well all the time. And I think what happened in game number two, Drew, was he realized that he wasn't getting much help out there. And, and, you know, and, and at that point he said, well, if we're going to win this game, I've got to score a bunch of points. And, and that's what he did. But you go back to game number one and he takes one shot in the first quarter. Three shots in the first half. He just has an amazing feel for what he has to do to have the team be successful. And and that's why he's so good. Not not because he's a great player, but that he's so unselfish, and he'll do whatever he has to do to have the team win. I, I think, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Jamal, and Jamal had a below-average game in Game 2, but I'm not worried about him. But some of these other guys, you know what Jamal's going to give you. You know what Joker's going to give you. On the other side, you know what Jimmy Butler's going to give you. You know what Bam Adebayo's going to give you. To me, Michael Porter Jr. has to be the fifth best player on the floor if the the Nuggets are going to win. I mean, he gets compensated like that, and that might be too much pressure to put on him, but it's a fact. And he was awful in Game 2 wasn't much better in Game 1. And if the Nuggets are going to win this series, Joker and Jamal have to get some help, and, and I think it has to come from him.
0: Well, we know how that one turned out, and, and Dan was was prescient. Some guys picked it up, and of course the Nuggets were ultimately led by that, uh, that great duo of Jokic and Murray, and got to have a parade And there were many who thought, man, would this ever take place? So that was, uh, that was fun to have Dan on and you could hear in his voice, man, it it was important to him, even though he hadn't, you know, shot a basketball for the Nuggets in, in 40 plus years. I mean, he was living and dying with every play as so many of us were and, and, um, It was neat to get his reflection, uh, not only on on the Nuggets run, but certainly on some other stories and and times that uh, we all got to share from uh, a number of years ago. The horse, Dan Issel. That was fun, man. Looking back uh, on some of the interviews from this year, we're going to do it again next week. And we'll, uh, we'll come out on Christmas Day. How about that? that'll be when the uh, next podcast drops. Till then enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, happy shopping, happy holidays. Uh, a belated happy Hanukkah and uh, a merry Christmas to uh, to all of you. We'll do it again in 7 days. Take care, folks.